the infinite love of Jesus. He came to show us the Father. He came to unveil the Godhead's love for us. And there's no better place to see this love on full display than with the cross of Calvary. So join me, dear friends, as we take a walk toward Golgotha's tree. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to read through some texts here. Matthew 27, 26 through 44, it says, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away. Actually, I'm gonna, I, I, I jumped ahead. I'm going to go to verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. I realize that most Christians are quite familiar with this story, but I wonder at what depth we truly grasp and understand what the cross means, what it means for the world, what it means for us. God's law was transgressed by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then they were banished to the outside of the garden. Christ, our substitute, was also made to suffer outside the boundaries of Jerusalem. The place of his crucifixion was outside the gates of the city, the same place where the worst types of criminals were crucified. Galatians 3.13, it puts it this way, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This is the love of God. God not only condescended to become a human living in this sinful world, but he also died a shameful, cursed death. He became a curse to save us from the curse. Yet even before he was crucified, he had to walk up that steep hill carrying his own cross, and that burden was too heavy for him in his weakened condition. He hadn't eaten food or drank anything since the Passover meal with his beloved disciples. He'd gone through the emotional and spiritual agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd endured the relational anguish of being betrayed by one of his closest friends while the rest of his friends fled during his arrest. He was sent before Annas, then Caiaphas, then Pilate, then from Pilate to Herod, and then back to Pilate again, from insult to renewed insult, from one mockery to another, from one torturous scourging to the next. Scripture unfolds scene after painful scene of the savior of humanity being tested to give up and to give in to his selfish motivations to make it stop, but because his love was fueling him to keep going, Jesus didn't fail. He didn't speak up to defend himself or to attack his enemies. Instead, as prophesied in Isaiah 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter but spoke no words, didn't open his mouth. Simon, a good and just man, he helped the Savior get the cross up that steep hill. And once at the top, Roman soldiers drove nails through the flesh of Jesus, placed a crown of thorns upon his head, and hoisted the cross up so that this innocent man hung between heaven and earth. Yet through it all, Christ's love for humanity shone through. Brighter than any of the darkness that that threatened to choke out that entire scene with a dry throat and cracked lips, he lifted up an intercessory prayer for those who abused him, setting an example for us all concerning the importance of forgiveness toward others. Yes, even our greatest enemies. No curses were called down upon the brutal Roman soldiers. Jesus invoked no vengeance upon the corrupt religious leaders, the priests and the rabbis. Instead, Jesus pitied them in their ignorance and their guilt. He uttered a prayer and a plea to his father, forgive them for they don't know what they're actually doing here. Father, forgive them. Yet the tragic scene continued to unfold and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. 
as if all the, the prior pains and insults weren't enough, then these people gave in to satanic whisperings and pulled out one of the enemy's favorite tricks. You may recall that he also tried it against Jesus at the very start of his ministry, there in the wilderness. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. If you are the son of God. Do you realize what the enemy was attempting to do here? He's questioning Jesus's very identity. Who the father at his baptism said he was, that he was son. It's one of Satan's oldest tricks, but it's nothing more than a cleverly disguised lie. The enemy questioned Jesus's identity and he questions ours too. The enemy constantly wants us to doubt who we are in Christ. He wants us forgetting that we are sons and daughters of God, predestined for adoption before the very foundation of the world. He wants us to doubt whether we are living in the flesh or living in the spirit. He wants us wondering whether we are slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. He wants us calling ourselves sinners instead of saints. And the best defense is the same one. The, our best defense is the same one that Jesus used in the wilderness. What does God say about you? When the lies come from the enemy, the response is, but what does God say? What has he written in his word? What does his word say? Ephesians 1.5 says that we've been adopted as God's children. Romans 8.9 tells us that we are dead to the flesh, but alive to spirit. Romans 6.18 says that we've been set free from sin, but are now slaves to righteousness. And all throughout the New Testament, believers are referred to as being saints. Know what God says about you and believe it. Believe it, claim it, walk it out, and hold it up against the enemy when he is whispering lies in your ear. Jesus knew who he was. And he believed it. He could have come down off of that cross. He could have called a mighty army from heaven to slay his enemies. But his love for us was greater than his desire to protect himself. Many eyes were upon him that day, beholding everything unfold. And everyone who saw him saw God's truth shining. One of the people observing Jesus was a thief who was on a cross beside him. It would have been nearly impossible for anybody in that region at that time not to have heard something about Jesus, not heard some stories, 
not heard some rumors. Now, whether they believed those stories and rumors or not is a completely different topic. Yet something happened with that common thief. We just read at the start that he and his buddy were reviling Jesus, but something happened while he was on the cross observing how Jesus dealt with the things that were being thrown his way. As this man reads the sign above Jesus' head, the Holy Spirit illumines his mind. And Jesus, bruised, mocked, and bleeding upon the cross, he understands that this man truly is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Hope and anguish mixed together in his voice as he weakly utters the words, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the answer comes quickly from Jesus. It comes quickly. His voice, even through all the pain, is full of love and compassion and power. He whispers, you will be with me in paradise. In this common thief, Jesus found an unexpected comforter. Jesus has been through long hours of agony and mocking words. His head is full of the jeers and the curses from other people. With longing, he hoped to hear some sort of word of faith and perseverance from his disciples, but all that he was met with was their absence and unbelief. He desired to be comforted by his mother but she's turned away, overcome and distraught by what she's watched unleashed upon her beloved son. She can't stand to look. Yet through all of that, how grateful that Jesus was to hear this quiet utterance of faith and love from a dying thief. Many were quick to call Jesus Lord when he was working miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, bringing dead people back to life. But none acknowledged him as he hung dying naked on the cross. None except for this one penitent thief. This thief who was saved at the 11th hour, the final hour of his life. And what do we do with that thief today? How does he fit into our 21st century theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no church membership, no good works, no mission trips. No tithes paid, no fancy suits. He couldn't even bend his knee to pray. He was a dying thief who himself admitted that he deserved to be where he was. Jesus didn't take away his pain. He didn't heal his body. He didn't smite his accusers. 
Yet it was a thief who received a ticket to paradise simply for believing. I know that some people struggle with the idea of of simple faith and, and reject the power of belief, but in order to do so, you have to contradict the very words of Jesus. This thief had nothing more to offer than belief in Jesus that he was who he said he was. No theology degrees, no countless hours of Bible study, no local church titles, just a dying man naked on a cross, unable to even fold his hands together in prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most well-known, oft-repeated verse in the entirety of Scripture, do we believe it? That's the good news of the gospel. To the penitent thief came the perfect peace of acceptance of God. Christ in his humiliation on that tree was glorified. That thief acknowledged him as sin bearer. Men could exercise power over Jesus' physical body. They could pierce his temple and his brow with a crown of thorns. They could strip him of his clothing and try to shame him, but they couldn't rob him of the power to forgive sins. Matthew 121, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Upon Jesus was laid the iniquity of us all. He was counted as a transgressor that he might redeem us from the condemnation of the law. And it's at this point that Jesus says something absolutely heartbreaking. In anguish and fear, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll never forget how one author puts it when describing this moment. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. In other words, the sins of humanity had so clouded the Savior's mind with darkness that he thought the Father's presence was gone. He thought this was the end, that there would be no resurrection on the other side of the grave. He feared that sin was so offensive to his Father that their separation was going to be eternal, yet he still went through with it. This is love. What wondrous love is this in that thick darkness with the sum total of all of the sins of humanity, past, present, and future, placed upon the Savior, the Father's presence was hidden. But the Father was still with his Son. 
Because he's a good, good father, he keeps his words when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The spotless son of God hung upon the cross, his flesh lacerated with stripes. Those hands that had so often reached out in blessings were now nailed to a tree. Those feet so tirelessly moving about in ministries of love spiked to the same tree, that royal head pierced with the crown of thorns, those quivering lips shaping the cry of woe. And all of that he endured. The blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, the agony that racked his broken frame, and the unutterable anguish that filled his soul at the hiding of his father's face speaks to each child of humanity. It speaks to each one of us. Declaring this, it's for you that the Son of God chose to bear this burden of guilt. For you, he spoiled the plan of death and opened the gates of paradise. He who calmed the angry storm and walked the billowy waves, who made demons tremble and disease disappear, who opened blind eyes and called forth the dead back to life. It's this same one who offered himself upon a cross as a sacrifice, and it's all because of his love for you. For you. For your sake, Jesus became sin itself. But the story didn't end at the cross. And I'll be talking about this more tomorrow morning, but I can't stop here. I don't know how many of you are going to be here tomorrow morning, and I can't send you home thinking that's the end of the story. By faith, Christ was victor. Victorious. On Sunday, he came forth from the grave. He defeated sin, death, and the very gates of hell. The enemy. That guy we talk about so much. That guy we worry about so much. He became a defeated foe on that day. And at the moment of Jesus' death, type met antitype, and the greatest sacrifice was made. Matthew writes it this way, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. The veil of the temple was torn, and the earthly sacrificial system was ended. The old covenant died and gave birth to the new covenant, sealed not in the blood of bulls and goats, but in the very blood of God. And it's that blood that removes sins. It's because of that blood that we are forgiven. There's a new high priest in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. It's because of that blood that we are
are called holy and blameless in the eyes of God. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Because of Jesus, you've been forgiven. Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Because of Jesus, you've been reconciled to God and your trespasses are washed away. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some sin. What does it say? All sin. Because of Jesus, you've been cleansed from sin. All sin. There is no sin that is too great, that is too powerful, that is too well buried, that it cannot be washed clean in the blood of Jesus. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus has made atonement for our sins. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more because of Jesus. Your sins are remembered no more. You may have had an earthly father who held your past up over you. You may have people in your life that bring up your past sins. But our heavenly father is not that way. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Because of Jesus, you have eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Because of Jesus's one-time sacrifice, he bore all of our sins. And now we can wait in expectation and eagerness and enjoyment for his second coming for him to appear and take us home. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, you, today, in this moment, can have assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. If you're depending upon yourself, you've got no assurance. 
But if we learn to abide in Christ and accept what he has done and trust him, we can have assurance. Know that we are saved. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this, dear friends, this is why we are called to focus our minds on things above. By faith, we can know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. By faith, we can claim Jesus' death as our own and know that our life is hidden with Christ in heavenly places. Yes, by faith, Christ is victor. But I got one more slide. Yes, by faith, Christ is victor, but there's more. By faith in Christ, we are victors. Because we are hidden in Christ. Do you believe it? Amen. This is why we can claim 1 Corinthians 15, 57, which says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. That's good news. I wonder if there's anyone here today that wants to claim victory for the very first time, the very first time. Maybe you're like that thief on the cross. You've heard the rumors about Jesus. You've heard the stories about Jesus. You've seen some of his followers, and maybe, maybe you didn't like what you saw. Maybe you didn't like what you heard. But like that thief on the cross, today, spending some time focusing upon Jesus on the cross and knowing that he did all of that because he loves you, you say, I want that victory. I want to claim Jesus as mine. I want to follow Jesus and be baptized in his name. Is there, is there anybody here that would like to just stand? First time accepting Jesus. I want to be baptized. I need that victory in my life. Is there anybody here? Amen, brother. Amen, brother. I, I, I want to pray with you after this sermon. And, and you know your heavenly father is proud right now. But I know your earthly father, and I know that he's proud right now too. But we're going to talk afterwards. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anybody else here? Is there anybody here? Maybe you want to make that first time commitment. Anybody else? Is there anybody here that has just seen the love of God, maybe in a way that is more clear than before, Maybe you have realized that you have been giving the enemy power in your life by believing his lies. He's been saying you're not good enough to be called a child of God. He's been saying that your sins are too great, you're too far gone. He's been telling you that you are unlovable, but you've seen through the cross of Jesus that those are nothing but lies. 
that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, he won the victory for you, and, and maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've walked away like the prodigal son, but Jesus is there with open arms welcoming you back home. Is there anybody here who wants to recommit their life to Jesus? Just stand where you are. I've been believing some lies, but I am now going to claim God's truth over my life. I'm going to believe what he says in his word. When God speaks, creation happens. When God says something, it becomes reality. And that's how I want to live from this day forward, because I love Jesus. Is there, is there anyone that wants to just recommit their life to Jesus? I've been believing some lies, and I want to claim the truth. Is there anybody here? Maybe some of you are believing a lie right now. How's this gonna look if I stand up? How's it gonna look if, if, if an elder stands up, if a deacon stands up, if somebody who's been going to church their whole life, what are people going to think? If you want to recommit your life right now and just claim Jesus' name, just stand up. Amen, Ron. Amen. 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 Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And we don't have to forget it. Because whenever we need a reminder, we just go to the cross. Just go to the cross. When you're believing some of the lies that the enemy is putting in your head about who you are and who, who God says you are, go to Ephesians 1 three through eight, just read what, what God says about you. Claim it, believe it. Amen, amen. So I, I'm gonna call Heather to, to come forward. She's gonna stand right here. After I pray, I'm gonna walk down here. And I, I know normally I just invite everybody to come forward and talk to, to one of us. Um, but today, I'm going to encourage anyone that just stood the second time or anyone else that has a specific prayer request or a praise that they want to share, I'm going to ask that you just divert your way over to Heather. I know she would love to hear from you, talk with you, and, and pray with you because um, I, I've got someone else that I need to talk to after this closing prayer. So a after the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. Um, but if, if any of y'all want to stick around and, and just praise God and, 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 and pray, then we'll be here for you. Let's pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for Jesus. When we look at our lives, we wonder why. Why? How? Who would want to love us in that way? Sometimes we can be guilty of looking in the mirror, looking in the past, and, and seeing ourselves as unworthy, not worth the price. But the price of something is set by the one who is willing to purchase it. And you, oh God, purchased us. And you paid the ultimate price, no price higher. And so, Lord, we, we want to believe that that is our value because you have said it about us. And as we look at ourselves, forgive ourselves, see ourselves in that value, Lord, may we look out to others and see that same worth, that same value in them because you died for them as well. And may we all come 
to share your light in our words, in our actions. Lord, may we believe in your word and believe that we have been reborn, born in the spirit, transformed, renewed in our minds and our hearts, and that we can go forth without fear, without trepidation, knowing that it's really you living in us and through us, spreading your gospel message to a world that is so desperate to hear this good news. So Lord, right now, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask it all in his precious and holy and loving name. Amen Amen. and amen.